evening, everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, November 21st, a couple of nights before Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. That, of course, was the call with Let the Day Begin. We've got a big show to get to tonight. We've got, of course, the NFL. We've got college football, and we've got some NBA. But we start, as we always do, with the Lions. And, uh, look... A road win in the division against the Bears. Lions are now 3-0 on the road in their division. The remaining three games they have this year are all at home. And I understand it wasn't a pretty game, just like it wasn't against the Browns. And look, the Lions are a flawed team. Uh, I don't care. No apologies necessary. You don't throw it back. You take a road win in the division any way you can get it, and you move on. Okay? It was a cold, blustery day in Chicago. Wind gusting all over the place. With the wind chill was less than 30 degrees. And what have we always heard about the Lions? They're an indoor team. Right? They're indoor cats. They're not outside cats. Well, look, I get it. They got down 10 nothing. They were down 17-7. Connor Barth missed a 46-yard field that would have sent the game to overtime. They gave up a fourth and 13 to keep the drive alive at the end for the Bears. Darius Slade dropped an interception two plays before that that would have sealed the deal. I get it. They still won the game. Matt Prater still stepped up when it mattered and made a 52-yard field goal and swirling wins. Stafford still drove the team and got them into that position to kick a 52-yard field goal. I, you know, Look, I get it. The run defense is terrible right now. Very little pass rush as well. The, front se- the whole front seven for the Lions is wretched right now. They're playing wretched football. They really miss Ziggy Ansah, the good version. They really miss Haloti Nada. Their massive defensive tackle. Their rookie middle linebacker, Jared Davis, is struggling mightily. He's done nothing the last two weeks. Secondary is good. Also, really good considering the fact that they get no help from their front four. But look, Lions are a flawed team. Save for maybe the Patriots. And right now, it looks like the Eagles, although. I'm not buying them just yet. Although they look pretty damn good, I have to say. Um, there are no flawless teams in the NFL. So you go on the road in your division and you win a game you have to have. I'm not going to apologize for that. It's silly. You think the Jaguars are apologizing because they only led the uh, the Browns 10-7 last week? That game was only 10-7 late into the fourth quarter, middle of the fourth quarter? Of course not. So, you know, the Steelers two weeks before when they, you know, they needed a last-second field goal to beat the Colts? Of course not. Now, of course, look, the Lions are one of five teams in the history of the NFL to win back-to-back games in which they've allowed their opponents to rush for 200 yards or more. That's a disturbing trend. And we all know the Lions can't run the ball at all either. Not a great combination. Although I maintain you don't really need to run the ball that much anymore. Not when you have Matthew Stafford. Look, would it be nice to take some pressure off him from time to time? Yeah. But by the way, the Lions have run the ball enough times, not with that much effectiveness, but they do it enough times where Stafford's completion percentage and his passer rating this year on play action is through the roof. It's like way in the hundreds, which is very good. 
So I'll give them credit for that. What drives me nuts about what this coaching staff does is when the Lions get a lead, when it's time to put the foot on the gas and go for the knockout blow, they rarely, if ever, do it. They go into conservative mode. They try to take the air out of the ball, and it drives me crazy. I mean, again, why would you take the ball out of your best player's hands? Matthew Stafford is the best player on his team, and it's not even close. They're a 2-14 team without him, and I do not say that to be hyperbolic. It's just true. And if the Lions somehow beat the Vikings on Thursday... And they go on to win the division. I don't know if he's going to win the MVP. He better damn well get a lot of votes for it. So we'll see. And the other guy that's been the MVP of this team is Matt Prater, the field goal kicker. He's been tremendous. Been tremendous. Made another 50, made a 52-yard field goal in cold conditions, windy conditions. Apparently, during uh, in the pregame, he was missing kicks from 45 yards, which isn't like him at all, because the wind was so bad. And apparently, they wouldn't divulge, but they had a number in mind. Apparently, every game, he goes to Caldwell before the game and says, this is my number. right? This is what I feel comfortable with. This is my, my limit, whether it's 52, 55, 58, because he's made 58 yards. He made one last year against Minnesota in Minnesota to send the lines into overtime before they won the game with the Golden Tate touchdown. So he goes to Caldwell before every game, right, after pregame warm-ups and says, this is my number. Well, it certainly wasn't 52. But when the lines got down in that range towards the end of the game, apparently he looked over at Caldwell and kind of gave him the nod and said, put me in, coach. I'll do it. And sure enough, he did it. Guy's been a revelation. Co-MVP of the team this year. I know Darius Slay's had a nice year. I know Glover Quinn's had a nice year. He and Stafford co-MVPs right now. So Lions win on Thursday. Gets them to 7-4. Would make the Vikings 8-3. and three, So the Lions would be back a game. But technically they would be tied, if you will. Or whatever. They'll own the tiebreaker advantage over the Vikings. So if they finish with the same record as the Vikings, Lions go the Vikings do not win the division. Could still get in as a wild card. And the Lions can still get in a wild card. Three weeks ago, I didn't think there was a path. There's definitely a path now. Falcons, Seahawks, Panthers, they all play each other. They also play the Vikings, and the Vikings play all three of those teams. So, uh, yeah, they have to because we played them. So they definitely play Atlanta and Carolina. I know that for a fact. So there's definitely... A path for the Lions to get in as a wild card too. Now it's going to be tough because they lost to both Carolina and Atlanta. So you're going to have to finish with a better record than at least one of those two teams. You're going to need Seattle to probably uh, have a second half swoon, which they could. No more Cam Chancellor, no more Richard Sherman for the rest of the year. Which will we'll segue right into last night's game. So Atlanta on the road went into Seattle, put up 34 points and won 34-31. An entertaining game, a game that you want to pull your hair out if you're a fan of either team. So Seattle with a chance to kick a 34-yard field goal before the end of the half. So 34-yard field goal means that they are on the 17-yard line. The snap is seven yards. The hold is seven yards back from the line of scrimmage. So that means they were at the 24 is where the holder catches the snap. 
with about eight seconds left, Pete Carroll calls for a fake field goal. What? To run it, to try to run the ball in. Really going to run the ball in from 24 yards, Pete? Yeah, is that right? For a touchdown? Fooled nobody. Grady Jarrett, stud defensive tackle for the Falcons, stuffed it in its tracks. And they end up losing by three points. That was a huge one. That was a boneheaded decision that came back to bite them. And then late in the game, on a third down pass that was clearly an incomplete pass, the whole world saw it, Carroll decides to challenge it. They lose the challenge, he loses the timeout. So when uh, Seattle got the ball back late in the game, after, of course, and that was the other thing. So Atlanta goes up 11, they had a chance to go up 15. They, on a third and goal, get stopped. It gets called a touchdown. It gets overturned on review. So they're like fourth and goal from the one-inch line. Now, I get it. The right thing to do there, I guess, is to kick the field goal because it puts you up two scores. And look, it worked out for them. And two scores, including a two-point conversion. Put them up 11. It's the right play there. It's the right play. But 15 makes it essentially impossible to lose because there was under five minutes to go in a game. They were in the four minutes now. But... They kick the field goal. They let Seattle come right down the field. I mean, they didn't play. They, they, they didn't, you know, if you're going to let them score a touchdown, you got to let them at least work some clock. They didn't make them use any clock. They let Russell Wilson, you know, scramble all over the place and get big chunk yards on scrambles. Plus, they got a bad late hit penalty. They gave him another 15 yards and stopped the clock. I mean, they did. The Falcons did everything you could do wrong on that drive. They did. They did. They look like one of the worst coach teams in the league. And listen, this is nothing new. We know this Falcons team cannot stand prosperity. Go back to the Super Bowl last year. They do not do well with the big lead or any kind of lead. So they give up the touchdown. Of course, they give up the two-point conversion. They get it to three. Seattle gets the ball back. They get called for penalty. No, no, no. Sorry. Wrong. That was wrong. Um, Seattle gets the ball back. But now, you know, they're down to one timeout because they lost one because of the challenge. So they get down to about the 35-yard line. And by the way, they got lucky because on a third down play, Brian Poole made a great tackle inbounds, keep the clock running, except he got hurt. So... Atlanta was forced to use one of their timeouts because if, an time, if there's an injury under two minutes left, it's not an official's timeout. The other team has to take the timeout. So that stopped the clock, saved Seattle's bacon, it looked like. They line up for a 52-yard field goal, Blair Walsh, online, about a yard short. So the, 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 the Falcons escaped by the skin of their teeth there. Uh, but Seattle's in major trouble. Listen, Russell Wilson's a wonderful player. That guy puts that whole team on his back. I mean, they're down to like a fifth-string running back. Mike Davis, uh, who I liked coming out of South Carolina, had been with the uh, 49ers. Um, they caught him. He'd been on Seattle's practice squad. Even He was pl- playing well last night. He got hurt. Chris Carson's been hurt for a while. He... Um, CJ Procise, a kid out of Notre Dame, can't stay healthy. So, uh, you know, the Rawls kid from, I think it was Eastern Michigan, who was supposed to be the heir apparent to Marshawn Lynch, he's been hurt. I mean, they, they just can't, can't keep a running back healthy. And now they're missing two of the biggest studs on that defense in the secondary. No more Richard Sherman, no more Cam Chancellor. Now, Cliff Averill's been out for a while. Now, look, their D-line's still pretty good. 
They still have Sheldon Richardson and Michael Bennett and Frank uh, Clark. I mean, it's still a pretty good D-line. But numbers, depth, you got to have at least seven quality linemen if you want to have a good D-line in this league. So their depth is decimated. Bobby Wagner is still the best middle linebacker in the league for my money, but, you know, you're missing two of your big guns in a secondary like that. That's a, that's a killer. And again, it has a cumulative effect. It's a trickle-down effect, right? So now, you know, a guy who was starting nickel, now he's got to go be starting corner, and now, you know, your nickel is like your backup nickel. So they're, 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 they're in major trouble. Seattle's in major trouble. And Atlanta, from what I saw, I mean, look, they're not that different than the team we saw last year. Still have Matt Ryan, still have Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Taylor Gabriel. Now, Freeman didn't play last night because he, he was out with a concussion. But, you know, Tevin Coleman's still good. This kid, Taron Ward, who filled in for Freeman, ran well last night. They're not great on the – you know what? Left to, left to center, left tackle, left guard, center's good. Right guard and right tackle are a problem for the Falcons. They're not great. And, again, that defense has some very good players on it. Grady Jarrett I love. Vic Beasley's a good pass rusher. Deion Jones, a good middle linebacker. The corners are pretty good. Trufant and Alford. Jan O'Neill's a big hitter at safety. But they give up a lot of yards. They give up a lot of gash plays. So, it's going to be no easy road for them. You know, it's interesting. We're going to go to the Saints next. The spirited comeback win against the uh, Redskins, who, by the way, Again, if you're a Redskins fan, you got to be sick to your stomach. They were up 15 in the fourth quarter, lost the game. They had a chance to add points in the end of the first half, had a false start when they were lining up for like a 52-yard field goal, had a false start, uh, and so then Gruden, uh, you know, eschewed to uh, – he declined to try a 57-yard field goal. Look, it's in a dome. I think if the guy can make 52, he might not try 57. I don't know. Whatever. Um Kirk Cousins got called for an intentional grounding penalty late in the game when they had a chance to get back in the field goal range and, and try to win the game in regulation. Um, they gave up a fluky play to Alvin Kamara where, you know, he caught the ball out of the backfield, bobbled it. There's three Redskins right there. Nobody bothered to hit him and let him catch the ball and gather it and then ran through three guys for the touchdown. And then they gave up the two-point conversion that tied it. Uh, couldn't stop Breeze late when it mattered. I mean, just a, a wretched loss if you're a Redskins fan. That's a big loss because if they would have won, they would have been 5-5. Five and five, And it would have been another NFC win. They already beat Seattle. They would certainly be alive for a wild card. Now I think at 4-6, and six, they're probably pretty much done. And to be fair to the Redskins, they do have a lot of injuries. But nevertheless, that's a game you have to find out. You have to figure out a way to win that game. Saints, by the way, after 0-2 are now 8-2. and two. And it's interesting. You know, the Lions, for all their woes... I'm making a segue here uh, because I'm thinking about the Saints. I'm thinking about the fact that the Lions can't run the ball at all. Pass blocking has been spotty. Now, part of that is they were missing the start left tackle Taylor Decker for the first eight weeks of the year. I get it. But uh, and we can see, you see with the Dallas Cowboys what a difference uh, missing your left tackle makes. It's funny. I guess now that Dez, uh, not Dez, now that Dak Prescott's out of the incubator, I guess maybe he's not uh, the second coming all of a sudden. Now that he doesn't, he doesn't just get to turn around and hand the ball to Zeke 
and or more importantly have the threat of play action with Zeke. Oh, and also have an hour and a half back there in the pocket to, to throw. I guess now that now that he's actually playing big boy football, he's not the greatest thing since sliced bread, huh? It's interesting. Although, my quarterback somehow had three left tackles this year. 19 touchdowns, five interceptions. Now, by the way, Dallas's defense better than the Lions' defense, or at least the defensive line is. Demarcus Lawrence leads the league in sacks. Lions can't get a pass rush to save their lives. Anyway, I digress. So the Lions have had trouble on the offensive line, right? Bob Quinn came in here, new GM. He identified that as an area that needed major upgrading. And I, you know what? I bought it. I said, okay, you know what? You're probably right. Because they weren't very good running the ball before he got here either. Well, it's interesting. Adrian Waddle is starting, former line, starting a right tackle for the Patriots. It's interesting. Couldn't play here. Somehow he can start for the Patriots. Best offense, one of the best offenses in the NFL. One of the best teams in the NFL. Larry Warford. Lions let him go in free agency. Had no use for him. Third, former third round pick. Starting for the Saints. The Saints with the best rushing attack in football. Just ran for 300 yards as a team two weeks ago against Buffalo. Chewed up huge chunks of yardage last week in the spirit of comeback against the Redskins. They've got two phenomenal backs in Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. By the way, the Saints, this year's Saints or last year's Falcons, right? Really good quarterback, good receivers, two great running backs. And a pass, not a great defense, but a defense that can get after the passer. They're like a mirror image of last year's Falcons. But so Larry Warford somehow is good enough to start for the Saints, who are 8-2 with a great offense and a great running game. And then Riley Reef, former left tackle of the Lions, flipped to right tackle. By the way, played better as a left tackle than he did as a right tackle. Starting the left tackle for the Vikings, who are also 8-2. And, and have a third-string quarterback in Case Keenum playing lights out. Oh, and Dalvin Cook, their rookie running back, who was supposed to be a stud and looked good early in the season, got hurt in the Lions game, the first Lions game. But they really haven't missed a beat. Latavius Murray and uh, Jarek McKinnon have run the ball just fine. So I guess... Riley Reef was not the problem. Maybe Larry Warford wasn't the convenient scapegoat. I mean, they were convenient scapegoats, but maybe they weren't the problem. Gee, I don't know. Maybe it's a ridiculous scheme that the Lions have. Idiotic blocking scheme that doesn't allow, that doesn't play well to the, to the offensive lineman's strengths. Or maybe the old line coach isn't very good. I don't know. But it's interesting. These guys were the big problem. And yet, Three of them are on three of the best teams in football, all three of which are 8-2. and two. But they couldn't play here. Weren't good enough to play for the Lions. And by the way, this big high-priced right side of the Lions line, Rick Wagner and TJ Lang, massive disappointments. Rick Wagner seemingly gets beat for a sack at least once a week. And TJ Lang, who never got called for a penalty when he was protecting the golden boy Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay... Six penalties already this year, including a killer or potential killer last week in Chicago. After the Lions got into field goal range to 25, he got called for a holding penalty on a running play that went nowhere, by the way. (laughs) So, it's interesting. Just wondering. Just wondering. Maybe it wasn't the players so much. Maybe you don't know what to do with them. Maybe you're not playing to their strengths. All right, now you got me all. I got all flustered now. I got all. I got all thrown off my game. All right, let's pull it back. So speaking of which, we were mentioning the Cowboys. With all due respect to my man AG, 
number one Cowboys fan, uh, they look like they're pretty much done. I mean, I think Tyron Smith's going to play this week. Sean Lee, who knows? But Zeke Elliott is out. Now, look, Alfred Morris ran fine against the Eagles the other night. But Dak Prescott had a horrible game. Now, look, law of averages says he's due for a stinker. Everybody has him. All right, Tom Brady has had stinkers. Matthew Stafford has had stinkers. Aaron Rodgers has stinkers. Everybody has one. But it is interesting now that he doesn't have Elliott and the offensive line isn't as good as it used to be, particularly when they don't have their left tackle. I mean, Tyron Smith's a great left tackle. When he plays, he's one of the best in the league. But, I mean, what do you have? Three interceptions and a fumble that got returned for a touchdown? I mean, it had a horrible game. And the Cowboys' defense, and AG will tell you this, it's not that good. I mean, they have a decent pass rush because Demarcus Lawrence is having the year of his life. And David Irving's a good pass rusher. But particularly when Sean Lee's not there, that, that, that defense really takes a hit. So it'll be interesting. I would not be surprised at all if the Chargers beat them on Thursday. Chargers are in every single game. Now, they can never close the deal, whether it was when Mike McCoy was the head coach or now with uh, Anthony Lynn. But they're in every game, and they've got a great pass rush. We talk about it almost all the time. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, two great pass rushers. So we'll see. But if the Lions win on Thursday, they are poised to win that division. And if they do, Matthew Stafford should be the MVP, or at least get a ton of votes. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with college football right after this. here on a pre-Thanksgiving edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming out of the break, Cameo and Single Life. My 80s R&B game is quite strong, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, some college football to get to. We've got uh, big rivalry games this weekend. The Iron Bowl being uh, tops on the list. Alabama and Auburn, that game will go a long way in determining who is one of the four that are in, maybe even two. Um, we'll see. Um, you know, there was not this, this past weekend is is sort of uh, derisively and rightfully so referred to as Cupcake Weekend because you have you know Alabama playing uh, what ridiculous team they play Mercer and uh, you know all, the, the, the SEC. You know, look, every major team from a Power Five conference plays. A bunch of cupcakes, but generally speaking, they do it early in the year and get it out of the way. For some reason, the SEC does this late in the year. So, you know, you'll see uh, Alabama play a Mercer or a Coastal Carolina. Or, you know, they play these division, these one double A schools. It's stupid. It makes no sense. But they do it. So, not really, uh, there weren't really, really weren't any super exciting games last week. Um, from a national championship implication standpoint, I mean, look, Miami won against Virginia, didn't look very good in doing it. Virginia put up 28 points, big yards, did everything they could in their power to hand that game to Miami. You know, and the rankings are going to come out now in the next hour or so. Um, 
So we'll see what happens there. Um, I mean, Miami will be in the top four because they're undefeated, but they did not look great. Georgia took care of business, beat a not bad Kentucky team and beat them pretty soundly. I mean, the game was close. You know, for a little while, Georgia pulled away. Um, the thing that would concern you as a Georgia fan is, again, they did it on the ground. Didn't really have to throw it that much. But, again, against a really good team like an Alabama in the SEC championship game or if they play Auburn, again, in the SEC championship game, they're going to have to throw the ball better. And, again, the way to do that is to do it on first down. Particularly if everybody thinks you're a running team, why wouldn't you go play action pass on first down, like your first four possessions of the game? First four plays of the game. I mean, depending, obviously, on what happens on those those downs. But... um. So I suspect you're going to see some variation of the top four is going to be Alabama, Miami, Clemson, and uh, Oklahoma. And then Wisconsin will probably be five, Auburn six, and Georgia seven. Um, But interestingly enough, I mean, Ohio State jumped up a lot last week. There is a scenario where with two losses even, Ohio State could possibly sneak in. Because think of it this way. Ohio State, if Ohio State wins out, right, that means they're going to beat Michigan, who I think is going to fall out of the top 25 this week. They should. Um, Michigan did not look particularly good last week. Uh, Who did they lose to? They lost to somebody. Uh, Penn State, maybe? No. They already lost to Penn State. Oh, Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wisconsin beat Michigan last week. Michigan already has three losses. They're not very good. This is not a vintage Michigan team. Um, but so let's say for argument's sake, Wisconsin, I mean, sorry, Ohio State's going to beat Michigan in their rivalry game, but that's not going to be a great win for them because I think Michigan's going to be out of the top 25. But if they win out, that means they're going to beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, and Wisconsin's going to be undefeated. So that's going to be a good win on their resume. Um... You know, they blasted Michigan State. I assume Michigan State will still be a ranked team. So they could be there two losses. Alabama, let's say for argument's sake, Alabama loses to Auburn. Auburn gets into the SEC championship game, loses to Georgia. Georgia would probably get in with one loss. There's a one-loss Alabama team with, by the way, not a great resume. Alabama hasn't beaten anybody that good. Their best win right now is probably Mississippi State. Their second-best win is LSU. The rest of their schedule, not great. And if they, if they lose to Auburn, now if they beat Auburn this week, no, if they lose to Auburn this week, then they don't even get in the SEC Championship game. Exactly. That's not a great resume. Would, Ohio, would a two-loss Ohio State team go ahead of a one-loss Alabama team? In years past, we would say absolutely not. No way. One-loss SEC team would definitely go ahead of a two-loss Big Ten team. But, again, Ohio State would have just come off beating an undefeated Wisconsin team who's going to be a top seven, top six team, top five. Be interesting. There's a lot of football left to be played. A lot could still happen. I mean, Georgia could still, as I said, Georgia could still get themselves in the national championship if they win out. 
Clemson's going to play Miami in the S- in the ACC title game, so one of those teams presumably will not get in. Oklahoma, as long as they win out, they're going to get in. And by the way, let me just weigh in on this Baker Mayfield situation. So they have their last regular season game this week against West Virginia, which, by the way, will not be an easy game. West Virginia playing in Morgantown, always a hard game. That is not an easy game. Do not chalk put that one in the, in the W column just yet for Oklahoma. So they played Kansas last week. Kansas, you know, lucky to even have a football team, right? I mean, Kansas football is a joke, right? It's a basketball school. It's always been a basketball school, um, or at least for the last 30 years it has. And the only time they ever had a decent football program is when, uh, what was that guy's name, Mark Mangino ran the program and he ran a dirty program when it had the likes of like Aqib Tlaib and stuff there. Uh, Kansas is wretched, right? Samaj so P. Ryan, rookie running back for the Redskins, broke the single-season game yards record against Kansas when he was a freshman with 427 yards. I mean, not that he's not a good back, but you know he ain't Billy Sims, right? <laughs> So, uh, Kansas is a joke. So, during the pregame, you know, the coin toss, when the captains go out to shake hands, Baker Mayfield, quarterback, captain of Oklahoma, puts his hand out to the Kansas players. They all put their heads down and they refuse to shake his hand. Now, look, I get it. Baker Mayfield, I talk about him every week. He's one of those guys. If he's your guy, you love him. If you play against him, if if you root for the team that Oklahoma happens to be playing that week, you can't stand him. He's as my dad likes to say, he is assy. Okay, he's cocky beyond belief. In today's parlance, he plays with a swagger. He's a hell of a player, and again, if he's your guy, you love him. You love the fight and the passion that he has. Now, there are times he's got to tone it down. I'll be the first one to admit it. But so later in the game, you know, he had a big play, whatever, and he went to the silence and he started chirping, and then he grabbed his crotch and he screamed the F word at him, and it was a bad look. Look, it was a bad look. Okay? It's an, it's an emotional player losing his head in the heat of the moment. It's a bad look. It can't happen. You don't want it to happen, particularly from the quarterback, right? Because he's the leader of the team. And he should be better than that because it's Kansas, too. I mean, I don't care who it is, but I mean, especially, you know, look, Bush League move by Kansas, no doubt. I mean, ridiculous. But, you know, again, Baker Mayfield, you got to be better than that. So, and anyway, anyway, though, I think the whole thing, he apologized after the game. He, was, he seemed very sincere. He seemed contrite to me. But the whole thing got blown out of proportion, of course, now, because everything does t- t- in today's society. And he's being benched, I guess, for the state. He's going to play against West Virginia, but he's being benched and he won't be the captain. And, you know, he was upset about it. You know, the, the bigger picture, I guess, is will teams in the NFL be turned off by that? I would suspect not. You know, I mean, I, I know guys that worked in the NFL. They, you, you can't have all choir boys in that locker room. You got to have, as, as one guy once told me, you got to have some guys with some dog in them, Right. And I understand the quarterback's a different animal. You, you need to have, you know, he's the face of the franchise and whatnot. Listen, first of all, as long as you win, doesn't matter. And it's, as long as the players follow you. See, that's the most important thing. If the team is behind you and the players get behind you and follow you, all the outside stuff is just noise. 
So that'll be interesting. And then speaking of guys and quarterbacks and the pros, you know, the other big game of the weekend was USC-UCLA because of Rosen, quarterback for UCLA, and Darnold, quarterback for USC, as they squared off against each other in their annual rivalry matchup. And USC ended up winning the game. Um, UCLA, by the way, I've watched them play about three or four times this year. Exhibited every single sign of a team that's very poorly coached, and they and because they are, and so they finally realized it. And Jim Moore Jr., their head coach, got fired. Jim Moore Jr., listen, I, he might be a good guy. I know he coached in the NFL, whatever. Uh, if that guy wasn't last name wasn't Mora, if he wasn't Jim Mora's son, um, I, I doubt very seriously he would be. He would have lasted as long as he did at UCLA and would be a head coach. I mean, look, UCLA puts guys in the pros every year. They can never they can never get over the hump against USC. USC is good, but still, and I mean they just commit so many boneheaded penalties. Now, by the way, USC does too. It's a sloppy game. You know, you had the crazy punt return where UCLA punted the ball to the left. No, sorry, USC punted the ball to the right, but all their coverage ran down as if it was to the left. Guy on USC, Michael Pittman's son, actually caught the ball, just ran right up the right sideline. For a touchdown. Nobody even touched him. It was the weirdest, strangest play. You know, lots of bad penalties on both teams. And I've said this, you know, USC also, by the way, they shoot themselves in the foot more than anybody, too. But had they not lost that that game to Washington, you know, up in Pullman, by the way, which is a tough place to play, and they lost on a last-second field goal, and Darnold did not have a good game that game. But had they found a way to win that game, They'd be right in the mix because their only other loss is Notre Dame. Now, granted, they got blown out. But if they go on to win the Pac-12 championship game, they might be alive. But it's a moot point because they're not. They have two losses. So my takeaway from watching both the quarterbacks is Rosen has everything you like in a pro quarterback, right? He's got the size, 6'4", 218, good arm, throws a beautiful deep ball. Certainly... They're, all the physical attributes are there to work with. And you know, now look, is he a franchise-changing quarterback? I wouldn't say that. He's going to get overdrafted because quarterbacks always do. Unless Cleveland, well, Cleveland probably pass on him <laughs> again. You know, they, they, they have no use for a quarterback. They already passed on. I mean, look, Deshaun Kaiser might be okay. I would take one of these guys over him probably. But... So Rosen will probably be a top five pick because quarterbacks always get overdrafted. And look, I think that, again, I think there's a lot to work with there. If he goes to the right situation, he's not going to come in and, and light the world on fire his rookie year. Uh, and then Darnold, listen, he reminds me a little bit of Aaron Rodgers in the sense that his escapability and his mobility are, are off the charts, right? And he does his best work when he's outside of the pocket. He's got to get a lot better at reading defenses. Um, his ball security needs to improve. He's got 10 fumbles on the year. It's way too many. He'd be best served stay, coming back to USC and staying for another year, I think. Now, I, I, look, you know, if he wants to go out and he's going to be a top 10 pick, you know, God bless him. I, you know, and I know it's a big risk. I get all that. I'm not, you know, and I would not blame the kid if he decides to go pro. I just think as far as from a, as his de- from a development standpoint, as his development as a player and a quarterback goes, he'd probably be best served to play another year of college. But could you blame him for going into the pros? Of course not. Not for a second. So 
that was pretty much it for the college football weekend. It wasn't a great one. This weekend is a really good one. Obviously, we've got um, we've got Georgia, Georgia Tech. That will not be an easy game for Georgia. See, that's the thing. It's like there, you know, there are no there are no gimmies. Obviously, we talked about the marquee matchup is going to be uh, Auburn, Alabama. Um, let's see, what are some of the other games with implications this weekend? Um, Let's see. Well, we've got some action tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Bowling Green, Eastern Michigan, Kent State, Akron, and Miami of Ohio at Ball State. I guarantee you I will be watching probably some of that Kent State-Akron game. Those other games I can't really get too excited about. But I think Akron is pretty good again, so I'll probably watch some of that game. Uh, you got Ole Miss versus Mississippi State. That game is fairly meaningless from a national championship implication standpoint. Uh, let's see. We've got Georgia-Georgia Tech on Saturday. Again, that will not be an easy game. It's at Georgia Tech. It's a big rivalry game. Ohio State-Michigan game is somewhat meaningful because if Ohio State wins out, that could cause uh, you know some chaos as far as the Final Four are concerned. Um, and then, obviously, Auburn-Alabama. Is that game Friday? The game is usually Friday. Did they move it now? Yeah, they moved it, I think, probably, right? Why am I not seeing it here anywhere? What is going on? These are a lot of inter-border rivalries, too, or cross-border, too, so, or, or in-state rivalries, I should say, or cross-border. So you've got Louisville versus Kentucky. You've got Florida, Florida State. But again, those games don't really mean much. Oh yeah, there it is. Alabama, Auburn, three thirty, Saturday. Yeah, they moved it to Saturday. Okay, so I feel like that game always used to be the Friday after Thanksgiving. But in any event, it's Saturday, three thirty. You know where I'll be. <laughs> That's where I shall be. Um, so those are pretty much it. Those are the big games. Notre Dame, Stanford. Eh, game doesn't mean much anymore because Notre Dame's out of the mix. Uh, could have meant something if Notre Dame still had one loss, but it doesn't. So that's pretty much it. And then we go into the conference championships after that. So still a lot of book to be written, as it were, when it, as it applies and relates to college basketball. All right, short break. And we'll finish the show up with some NBA right after this. Here on the pre-Thanksgiving edition of Jamal About Sports. Taking us back to our final segment, the late, great Robert Palmer with Johnny and Mary. All right, we go to the NBA. and We talk about the Knicks. Nice win last night over a floundering L.A. Clippers team. Um, look, you know, the Knicks had a bad loss uh, to Toronto. Uh, I think it was on Friday night. Yeah, it was. Um, one of those games, you know what? You toss it out. It happens. It's an 82-game season. Knicks couldn't make a shot. Tim, I, knew, I knew they were in trouble early in the game when Tim Hardaway Jr. missed a dunk. And, by the way, he's played very well for the Knicks this year. Um, but, uh, you know, once I saw that, I said, all right, it's just not going to be their night. Now, you know, they were a little bit game. They got down about 20. They did cut it to 10. 
uh, early in the fourth quarter and then, you know, just sort of ran out of steam. Porzingis had a bad game since his super fast, scalding hot start. He's kind of cooled down a little bit. But, you know, for instance, last night's a perfect example. So he didn't shoot the ball great, 7 for 20 from the field, but he made two threes. He was 9 for 9 from the foul line. He had seven rebounds. He finished with 25 points, and he outplayed Blake Griffin. So if that's going to be sort of a not great night for him, you can get 25 and 7 and the team wins, you take that every time. That's number one. Number two, my guy, Ennis Cantor. Again, anybody who ever listened to this show last year knows I love this guy. Uh... Another great night for him. Double-double, 12 points, 16 rebounds, 6 offensive. Uh, he crashes the offensive glass constantly, keeps balls alive. He's a, he's a bundle of energy. And he had 12 points last night. He only took 4 shots. He was 3 for 4. He does all his, his work down low and f- from in close. I mean, he could step out and shoot a jumper here and there. But when you have Porzingis on a team, you don't really need him to do that if they're on the court together. Again, he's a perfect complement for Porzingis. He is such a joy and a pleasure to watch. And you love the fact that when they played the Cavaliers and that crushing loss to the Cavaliers last week after they had a 23-point lead, you know, LeBron made some comment about the Knicks should have drafted Dennis Smith Jr. instead of Nicolina. By the way, he's right. Okay. He's right about that. I think. Dennis Smith Jr. is a much better player right now than Nicolina. They're both 19. But in any event... Uh, you know, Knicks fans took it as it was a shot at Nicolina. It wasn't a shot at Nicolina. It was a shot at Phil Jackson because LeBron can't stand Phil Jackson. And by the way, who can stand Phil Jackson? Except for maybe Michael Jordan and Shaq and Kobe. So whatever. Um, but, you know, LeBron got like kind of got in his way and, and Nicolina didn't back down. And so LeBron sort of like bodied up to him and then. Ennis Cantor came over to protect his guy. It was great. It was a great... It, it was reminiscent of the Riley era, Van Gundy era Knicks, where, I mean, it's not nearly as sort of combative as it was in those days. The NBA in general is not like that anymore, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, but that passion and that fight was there that has been so absent from the garden from a ve- for a very long time. So, listen, Cantor has been a delight so far. And then Doug McDermott, who the Knicks also got in that trade for Carmelo Anthony, had a great night last night, came off the bench with 16 points, uh, hit five threes. And that's what he does, right? He's a really good shooter. I mean, the other thing about this guy is he plays defense much better than I thought he did. He's 6'8". He's great. He cuts great. He moves well without the ball really well. He's not just a spot-up shooter. And by the way, he's only 25. This is a guy who's a national player of the year in college. At Creighton. This guy's got ability. And he's 25. And Cantor's 25. Cantor was the third overall pick in the draft by Utah five years ago. Or six years ago, whenever it was. Yeah, six years ago, I think. I mean, for the Knicks to get two 25-year-old players, one guy's a double-double machine, and the other guy probably at worst will be a quality sixth, seventh man, you know, dead-eye three-point shooter. That's tremendous. For Carmelo Anthony, who was addition by subtraction, and now you've got two pieces of perhaps a nice young nucleus that you can build around? So far, the early returns for for the Knicks GM uh, are pretty good. And the Hardaway deal that everybody killed, right, and thought was a joke, $71 million, well, you see some of these other contracts some other guys are getting. 
And by the way, Hardaway, again, it's early, right? We're the Knicks, 9-7, and seven, 16 games in the year. He's averaging 17.5 points a game. Last night, he only had 13 points, but he only took 13 shots. He had five assists and five rebounds. It's a good all-around game. He's played very well. So the Knicks, look, they're still not great defensively. They don't guard the three particularly well. Right, that's a major cause for concern. Jared Jack had a nice game last night. He's not a starting point guard in this league. He's a good backup. And look, Nicolina, I know I'm probably harder on him than most because he was a Phil Jackson pick. And so I was immediately skeptical. And I've never seen I've ne- I never saw him play before because he played in France. Look, he seems like a great kid, hard worker. He's got a good NBA body, 6'5", long arms. Kind of reminds you of Daryl Walker a little bit. Um, but look, he's a super work in progress. I mean, you can just tell. He, he's super tentative when he's on offense, right? Should I drive? Should I not drive? Should I attack? Should I not attack? Should I take a shot? Should I not take a shot? I mean, look, and that's to be expected. I, I get it. It's just frustrating to watch because, you know, the Knicks to me with – Cantor, Porzingis, Hardaway. McDermott, Courtney Lee, Kylo Quinn. Like, those guys are good. You know, Porzingis, borderline superstar. Hardaway, borderline above average starter in the league. Cantor, to me, is already legit starting center in the league above average. I mean, it's a playoff team. And it could be, a, you know, maybe better than an 8th, 7th seed playoff team if they had... If they were up, if they had a point guard that was a bit of a difference maker, and they just don't right now, and Nicolini is not going to be that, so it'll be interesting to see uh, when. And by the way, why am I spacing on the name of the Knicks' new GM, Scott? I mean, Steve Mills is the president, but why can I not now remember the name of the Knicks' general manager? You know what? Probably because he just keeps a low profile, which is also nice, by the way. He's not a dope out there attacking his his players like Phil Jackson liked to do. Oh, for crying out loud. I'm going to have to look it up now. Hold on. Just bear with me for a second. Just bear with me for one second. Of course, there was an article about it the other day. Scott, ay ay ay. Anyway... The bottom line is, at least at the at worst, it looks like the Knicks have a plan and they've got a nice young core and a nucleus to build around. At worst. Right? At best, they could be a playoff team with a young team. So, uh, and now, of course, I can't find... Hold on. Let's, let's try this. Let's do a little C reaction. Siri, who is the general manager for the New York Knicks? Yeah, that's not what I did. Let's try this again. Who is the general manager of the New York Knicks? No, I didn't want the roster of the Knicks. Uh, thank you very much. 
I wanted the general manager of the Knicks. Okay. Well, whatever. The bottom line is the new general manager of the Knicks. This is infuriating, by the way, that I can't figure this out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now it's driving me crazy. Sorry. Hold on there. See, this is where I need, like, a, uh actual producer here. Scott Perry. Thank you. Yeesh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry you guys had to go through that with me. Believe me, it was as painful for me as it was for you. Uh, in any event... Uh, he's done a really nice job so far. The early returns are really good. And isn't it interesting? Again, it's only 16 games, but the Knicks are 9-7. And, and I get it. They played a lot of home games. They're 8-3 at home. But they're 9-7. Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook and Paul George and now Carmelo Anthony are 7-9. and nine. All right, listen, that is it for tonight's show. Have a, a wonderful, happy, healthy, and safe Thanksgiving to everybody out there. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes. Facebook and Twitter at Jamal about sport. Uh, enjoy all the football Thursday over the weekend. We'll be back next week to break it all down. Until then, peace out.